Marini's Media. Totally football show. Boom. Bundesliga is zurück. As the world scrambles to prepare for a feast of football, we break down for you a league where more goals are scored than any other. Ooh. Where crowds gasp at fresh-faced talents like Erling Haaland and David Wagner. Ah. And where Onion Bayern isn't something you do at a supermarket, it's a fixture this Sunday. And that's not all. Also today, we'll have Chapter 9 of our Champions League story, 2000-2001, featuring Leeds before gravity hit and more Bayern triumphs. Plus, in a big week for long-awaited returns of major tournaments, Inter totally is back. It's semi-final one, Alvaro v Daniel. The Totally Football Show, in association with Paddy Bauer. MGMT there with the ever-topical mystery disease. Hello, listener. Thanks for joining us today. We have a, a Duncan Alexander for you. Hi, Duncan. Hi, James. That's right. Also, Julien Laurence. Hi, Julien. Bonjour, James. Bonjour to you. And Raphael Honigstein. Hello, James. Hello, Raphael. Very timely appearance. Saturday, you and I are going to be enjoying uh, two manshafts in the Ruhr. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, we're excited because it's the return of the Bundesliga. Wow, you must be just itching to, to, to go at it. I am quite excited. Uh, it's strange because you know it's not quite the real thing without fans and it is a bittersweet occasion. At the same time, I just want some semblance of football to come back just for at least, you know, a couple of 90 minutes so you could do something different uh, after all these weeks. So, yes, I can't deny that I am actually quite excited. Boy, if that's your excited voice, I don't want to catch you on a bad day. But, OK, no fans, but live football on a Saturday afternoon. There's no embargo. This is really exciting for a British football supporter. Uh, and what a game as well we're going to be starting with. Uh, the Revier Derby, Dortmund Schalke, Jaden Sancho, Erling Haaland, etc. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good one, James. Uh, in fact, it's so good that for a while the league was thinking maybe this is not the best game to return with because it uh, does excite people and it does um, create maybe the temptation to meet up and to watch it together. But uh, in the end, uh, that's the one we have. And um, it coincides with pubs opening in, in some areas in Germany, especially in North Rhine-Westphalia, where this derby is being staged. So you might even have some socially distant observing public viewing of some sort available. So um, things very different in Germany um, compared to, to the UK. And uh, of course, it'll be a derby with a difference, uh, as you said, with no fans being inside the ground. The one thing that Dortmund have is a bit of experience, of course, of the situation. They had to go to Paris in one of the last games staged before football was uh, brought to a halt. And they had that 2-0 uh, defeat in the Ghost game uh, at Parc de Prince. So maybe that will be uh, one small advantage for them on Saturday. Right. Geisterspiel, as I like to call them. Um 
Rafi, you and I are going to be meeting up across a, a very long and you know responsible desk at the BT Sports studio. It's going to be really interesting because there's only going to be about three people in the entire building, which is a cavernous hangar on the east side of London. We'll have to do our own makeup or possibly each other's. I'm not sure. It'll be very much a ghost studio. Ghost studio, yeah. But it will be sat there. Hopefully one or two people will be tuning in to see first off Dortmund against Schalke and then basically all the goals from the Saturday afternoon games and then we'll be across to uh, the is it Untracked Frankfurt against Borussia Mönchengladbach that's the one huge games well we'll talk more about the the, the weekend later on but I must admit I am feeling a little bit nervous it is going to happen isn't it There, there must be a lot of fingers crossed right now in Germany it is happening, but of course you just don't know what kind of test results you might have in the meantime. Um, I think they're all getting tested again on Friday night. So by Saturday morning, you just don't know. You're just hoping and praying that there won't be any positive tests. And even if they are, then you still it's down to the local health authority to decide what, what should happen that moment. They could just send one or two of the, the players or maybe staff members who could also test positively down um, for quarantine or could they could tell the whole team that they're off for two weeks, at which point, you know, we might see some real problems for the fixture list. So hopefully um, this will work. Um, just to tell you, I think, a little bit about the pressure that the league is, is feeling, uh, they were supposed to decide yesterday that um, what would happen if the if the league has to be abandoned um, which was very hastily sort of arranged and in the end they couldn't quite find an agreement but I think they are aware um, to the possibility that uh, you know this could all not finish and could go wrong. Well so far they've carried out almost 2,000 tests on Bundesliga players and staff they've had 12 positive results of course, the three at Dinamo Dresden rather derailing their preparations for the return of the Bundesliga Svei. But we'll talk more about what hopefully is going to be the weekend's fixtures later on. Finnegan Gringlebury, crazy name, crazy guy. As a West Ham supporter, I need to support a team with a well-established supporter base, a history of ignominious underachievement and a directionless strategy. Can Rafa suggest a Bundesliga equivalent for me? Well, I think you have your uh, a choice between Hamburger SV, who are currently in the second division, which would, you know, maybe be a snapshot of where West Ham are going. Um, but uh, Schalke is also one. I think they even have the two hammers uh, as part of their emblem or one one big one, but uh, they often um, show the two. Schalke perhaps less fitting because they are quite uh, doing well under David Wagner and they could still finish in Europa League this season. Did you see what Schalke um, do this week on uh, through their Twitter account to uh, engage with English fans who are looking for uh, German teams? They basically had um, uh, a point for every club in, in the Premier League of what their fans should support Schalke. So, for example, for Arsenal, Meze Ozil and Kolasinac used to play so Schalke. So Arsenal fans should support Schalke. Uh, and then for West Ham, for example, they had where we have a very similar emblem with the uh, with the hammer so West Ham fan come and support us but for each club they find a, a point in common which I thought was very clever and very amusing all right Schalke who fingers crossed will be featuring in our big live game Saturday afternoon Rafa myself and Owen Hargreaves join us for that so woof anyway now other football uh, this week saw Javier Tabas saying that Spanish football should be returning on the 12th of June with the Seville derby if all goes to plan, La Liga will be wrapped up, he says, by the end of July, with games played every day for six weeks behind closed doors and the title European places and relegation slots all decided. Boom. Serie A also announcing Wednesday 
that the 13th of June they're going to get back underway and they'll have everything done by the 2nd of August, ready for the Cups, which, as you probably know, UEFA plans to hold from the 3rd of August for the Europa League and the 7th of August for the Champions League. Saying all this, I still can't really believe any of that's going to happen. But anyway, Duncan, in the Premier League, plans are still rather less defined, understandably. Yeah, the Premier League is a bit strange in the sense that they don't have the issue that, say, Serie A would, who've been quite strict. If a player tests positive, the whole team's going to go into quarantine. Um, in England, the government said that you've got, basically given Premier League teams special permission that if uh, you know if they test positive, they can just put those specific players into quarantine. Um, but then it does feel like the, the teams and particularly the players in the Premier League are probably more concerned about coming back than other than other uh, leagues, which is possibly unsurprising given the situation in the UK compared to a lot of these other countries. Um, mm. So it feels like there's still quite a lot of uh, hurdles to jump, as it sounds. Mm, indeed so. Best wishes in the meantime to Delhi Alley, who as you may have seen got injured in an armed robbery at his, at his home in the early hours of Wednesday morning. Uh, so as we await the other leagues to come back, of course, ahead of them all are our new favourites, the K-League. K-League, Rafa. Woo! What's up this weekend? Well, it's a train to Busan, right, for Champions Chombuk. Remember they had that narrow 1-0 win over Suwon Bluings last weekend. They're going to be away at Busan Eye Park. Park in the Busan, perhaps. No. Anyway, week one's big winners, Ulsan Hyundai, will be facing Blue Wings, while Gangwon, who's Cho Chai Wan, produced that outrageous 360 backhill strike last weekend. Cho Chai Wan, me baby, as commentators know that said. Um, they will be hosting Song Yam. Not sure if, if this is going to be live on the BBC, though, this time around. I think the BBC have, have, have ditched them, rather. Is that, have they done well, it, Yeah, it does. I've, it's the Belarus League I feel sorry for. Everyone was all over that about three or four weeks ago, and now no one's even mentioned it. So I'm going to be tuning into right. that, I think. OK. Jules? No, I'm tuning in for Bundesliga 2, actually, at 12 o'clock for the Karlsruhe-Darmstadt game. I've decided from the beginning, this weekend was all uh, my love for German football, Germany, Raphael Honigstein, Angela Merkel. And I'll be eating uh, German food. I'll be uh, speaking German with my uh, children and my wife. And I'll be watching Karlsruhe, Darmstadt, and then obviously all the other games in the Bundesliga. Brilliant. All right then, Jules. On that note, we'll park the Bundesliga chat for now. Up next, it's time to play the game. The return of Intertotally. On Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Wow. It seems like only six weeks ago that 16 fresh-faced pundits faced the opening round with a dream in their hearts. It was? It, it was six weeks ago. Anyway, blah, 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 stuff happened and now we're down to the final four. And today, the first of the semi-finals, let's meet our contestants. Up first, he is the man who haunts the dreams of Duncan Alexander and who showed zero respect to his elders when he knocked out Pat Nevin. He is the fast brawler. He is Alvaro Romeo. Hola, Alvaro. Hola, James. Hola, James. Bringing the pain from Spain, Alvaro. You've slammed the dunk and you put out the pat. Are you quietly preparing another upset for us? I think I'm ready to to try to win, but uh, Daniel's story is especially subject. It's giving me a headache, really. So I think that I am the underdog for this stage of the tournament. 
Well, your opponent is a man who's already seen off two of your continental colleagues. Let's meet him. And his opponent. He's seen off Raphael Honigstein and Julian Laurent, but as always, his biggest enemy could be himself. He is the king of concern, the prince of perturbation, and the archbishop of anxiety. He is Daniel the Self-Doubter Story. This is no time to be questioning yourself. That's my job. Yes, indeed. Well, it's a new format for the semi-finals. Two-legged, home, where you answer questions on your own specialist subjects, and away, where you answer on your opponent's topic. And yes, in the event of a tie after two legs, away answers count double. Do you both understand the rules? Yes. Absolutely. Good. Alvaro, you're at home today. What's your specialist subject? The Real Madrid Galacticos time. And what we call Galacticos is when uh, Beckham, Figo, Raul, Zidane, Ronaldo and Owen were playing together for Real Madrid. So that's 2003 to 2005. Okay, Daniel, what will you be countering with in the return leg? I will be doing post-war FA Cup finals. Woof. And so will Alvaro. Alvaro, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Terrible. I wish I was a, bit, a little bit older just to, to have any memory of that. But right. I tried to look for a book in Amazon about uh, FA Cup and they were all very expensive. So it's not going to be easy. I bought them all, Alvaro. That's why they're expensive. <laughs> Out of the stock, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right, well, you may need a big performance today then, Alvaro. Let's get things underway. Answering questions on Real Madrid in the Galactico era, 2003 to 2005. Question one, Alvaro. David Beckham became the third Englishman to play for Real when he signed for them in 2003. Who were the first two? Mm. Steve McManaman. And uh, I believe his name was... Atkinson? No, it was Laurie Cunningham. Cunningham. Laurie ah. Cunningham. Question two then, Alvaro. When Real signed David Beckham but sold Claude Makaleli, who said, why put another layer of gold paint on the Bentley when you're losing the entire engine? I don't know. I'm going, to, I'm going to say any random name. Mm, Fabio Capello? No, it was Zinedine Zidane. Outspoken stuff from the Frenchman. Question three. When Real Madrid signed Michael Owen from Liverpool, which player went the other way? Fernando Morientes went to Liverpool. No, Alvaro, that was actually a couple of months afterwards. It was Antonio Nunes who went as part of the same deal. Question okay. four, then. Which team did Real Madrid beat 7-2 early on in the 2003-2004 season? Was it uh, Las Palmas? It was Valladolid. Okay. And question five, Alvaro, to avoid a complete whitewash in your specialist subject. In 2004-05, Real Madrid had four players in their squad who had won the Ballon d'Or and three who had finished second but never won the Ballon d'Or. Can you name two of those three? A little bit complicated, so I'm going to repeat this. There were four players in that Real Madrid squad in 2004-05 who had won the Ballon d'Or. Three other members of the squad had finished second in it but never won the bauble. Can you name two of those three yes. who'd been runners-up? One of them has to be Raul. And the other one who came second but never won it, one of them must be David Beckham. Is correct. Woof. All right. Okay. Tough questions, Alvaro. 
They yeah. were tough. And we've got another set of tough questions coming your way. <laughs> Daniel, we'll have five more ready for you in a second. But Alvaro, what, what happened there? Well, I think that the, the questions were quite complicated. But uh, anyway, I should have uh, known definitely the, the Nunes one. And uh, definitely as well the Cunningham and McManaman one. So, yeah, I think that is my bad in this case. All right. Well, let's see if Daniel's story fares any better as we ask him questions on Real Madrid's Galactico era 2003 to 2005. Question one, Daniel. Jose Antonio Camacho lasted only six games as manager in 2004. That was his second spell as Real Madrid coach. What was unusual about his first spell? Uh, it lasted a very short time. I think like 30 days. Is that enough? Mm, more specifically, I'm not sure of the time span. Uh, he didn't, he only, he didn't manage a game. That's correct. Question two then. Real Madrid loaned a couple of players out in 2003-2004, one of which was to come back and haunt them. Why was that? Uh, it's Fernando Morientes and he scored the goals that knocked them out of the Champions League. That's correct. Question three. Real Madrid signed Jonathan Woodgate in the summer of 2004, but which other centre-back did they sign? Uh, Walter Samuel. Correct. Question four. Which potential Galactico rejected a move to Real and years later gave Florentino Perez a signed shirt with From the One Man Who Turned You Down inscribed on it? Mm. Um, who was brilliant at that point? Ibrahimovic? It was Francesco Totti. Ah, should have known that. Question five. Which is the missing club in this sequence relating to the Galacticos? Barcelona, then Juventus, then Inter, then another club, then Liverpool. Um. So it's a sequence relating to the Galacticos. Barcelona, mm -hmm. then Juventus, mm -hmm. then Inter, then another club, then Liverpool. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, Manchester United. Why? I've got no idea. I just picked a massive club. Well, you picked right, Daniel. Oh, wow. The answer is they are the clubs that Real Madrid signed their Galacticos from. Figo okay, from Barcelona. Juventus uh, for Zidane. Ronaldo from Inter. David Beckham, as you correctly answered, from Manchester United. And then Liverpool for Michael Owen. Mm. Extraordinary. So at the end of that round, you've scored four points out of five. <laughs> Yes, a couple of guesses there, but good ones at least. I apologise for that, Alvaro. Ah, that was very impressive. Very. You make your own luck in this game, Daniel, I've always felt. <laughs> All right, well, a whopping three-point lead then, but we'll be seeing you both later on for the general knowledge today. And, of course, we've got the second leg coming up. See you guys later on. See you. Cheers. Wow. Anything but a classico performance there from Alvaro, who needs a Romeontada. Yeah, in the general knowledge <laughs> later on. He's going to need that and more. Next up, though, let's get some more cross-continental action with Chapter 9 of our look back at the Champions League story. It's 2000-2001. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Getting a road named after you in your hometown, special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games, not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. 
Mini Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11 pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbegumbleware.org. On Spotify, Smart Speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. That's right, Champions League 2000 2001, the road to San Siro. What a colourful road it was. Along the way, Leeds in their pyjamas, an old lady getting licked by Hamburg's butt, and a final where redemption awaited for one recently beaten finalist and more of the same for another. As in the previous campaign, there were double the group stages, which meant double the fun. But let's start off with how it all began with group stage one. Julien, what was your favourite bit? Well, uh, I thought there was a lot of Again, researching it and looking at it, I mean, Bayern Munich and PSG were in the same group, which I remember going to um, to the game at the Parc des Princes when PSG beat Bayern Munich 1-0, although Bayern Munich were by far the better side in, in, in that group and also uh, beat PSG 2 in at home. But there was a lot of good things. I enjoyed very much the uh, Deportivo La Coruña, Panathinaikos, Hamburg and Juventus group, ha. which was group E. <laughs> right. Juve didn't enjoy that group, did they? They started off with the uh, extraordinary match away in Hamburg. Rafa, I don't know if you had trailed along to this. You may remember with a team managed by Carlo Ancelotti. They had Zidane, they had Pippo Inzaghi, Alessandro Del Piero, Trezeguet, Chiro Ferrara at the back, Paolo Montero. Incredible lineup. So they go to Hamburg and Inzaghi Brace gets them 3-1 up. And then uh, Van der Sar, whose goalkeeping was really the, the big problem for them in Europe, particularly this season, stuffs it up completely uh, and fails to come for a cross. Suddenly, Hamburger back into it 3-2. And then, Rafa, do you remember what happens next? I remember that Butt scores a penalty. That's right. Goalkeeper hands <laughs> York butt, hands Juve their butt, scoring a penalty, which makes it 3-3. Gegen den besten europäischen Fußballadel, Butt. Then Nico Kovac puts them in the lead before a Pippo penalty ends them a 4-4 draw. And that was about as good as it got for Juve in that group stage because Jules, further disasters were, were, were awaiting them. Yes, exactly. Although they beat Panathinaikos at home uh, 2-1, then they drew with La Coruña twice, home and away. Uh, and then in the, in the last two games of the group, it was quite a tight group as well, very tight groups. They first lost at home to Hamburg when Zinedine Zidane, if you remember, uh, got a bad tackle and then headbutted one of the Hamburg defenders, got a straight red. How and then ironic. Edgar David, uh, no long after, followed with a second yellow and also a red. So by halftime, Juve were down to nine already. They ended up losing that game 3-1. A lot of people said that that red card, that headbutt, probably cost us uh, maybe the Ballon d'Or in 01 or certainly cost him a lot. And then the best was probably to come for Juve in the last game away in Greece at Panathinaikos when they uh, lost 3-1. And the first goal scorer for Pana on a free kick was Paolo Sousa, who came back to horn his former teammates and his former team. It's curious how often that happens, Jules. But this business of Zidane and his, his headbutts, obviously the one in the final in 2006 lives on in infamy. But was this a regular occurrence for him then? So in terms of headbutts, te- technically the headbutt, I believe that's the only two in his career. Uh, but remember, he had 14 red cards, which for a number 10 is, is obviously far too many. The temper and the reactions often, in this case, to a tackle in the, in the 06 World Cup final against Materazzi to insult. But that sort of you know, hot blood, hot temper character cost him 
dearly because a lot of those red cards were down to reaction either to insults or to a bad tackle or to to something and then he sort of made justice by himself yeah that group interesting if you like Champions League group dynamics and who doesn't um only two wins maximum for any team in in that group which is uh pretty rare to get through but that's not the best group of the first group stage group d the Sturm Graz Galatasaray Rangers Monaco group the two teams with negative goal difference go through and the two teams with positive goal difference go out. And that's basically because Sturm Graz, who actually won the group, um, lost 5-0 away at Rangers and 5-0 away at Monaco, but still got through. Just shows, you know, lose 5-0 but do better in other games and you'll be all right. That's remarkable. How about Anderlecht, who were in Man United's group with PSV and Dinamo Kiev? They lost 5-1 at Old Trafford on the opening match day, but still went on to win the group. Remember they had that classic partnership up front of uh, Thomas Radzinski and uh, the extraordinary Jan Kohler. Six mm. foot eight. Is that right? Was he genuinely six foot eight? Yeah, and he, it's weird. If you like giant men in the Champions League, Peter Crouch, Jan Kohler and Carsten Janka all scored 13 goals in the Champions League, which is like the limit for if you're that high, the number of goals you can score. <laughs> if you combine their heights, it works out as 0.07 goals per centimetre, which is a decent ratio. I don't need more centimetres to score. <laughs> Thanks, Rafa. <laughs> Arsenal were uh, in the group stages and qualifying as well. They were back at Highbury, Jules. Yes, they, they were indeed. Remember the two years at Wembley were, were pretty bad. It was a pretty fiasco. You, you can understand why they, they sort of did it in the first place and they, they tried it. But I, I think even Wenger was not completely convinced about the idea of of um, of, of playing uh, at Wembley, and they did much better back at Highbury. They were in a group with Lazio, Shakhtar, uh, the Shakhtar that was early early years of Shakhtar and Sparta Prague, uh, and they topped that group with thirteen points, like like Lazio, and and had some pretty convincing performances. Uh, where they drew with Lazio one one away, and they beat Lazio, especially at Highbury two 0 Fine stuff from the Gunners, who would get knocked out by Valencia in the quarterfinals. The team, actually, from the Premier League, who went furthest of all in this season's competition. Do you know who it was? Leeds United. Wow. Leeds, who had Lee Boyer and Jonathan Woodgate busy turning up in court, charged with intent and affray, but were busy taking the continent by storm. Qualifying from a group that included Besiktas, Milan and Barcelona... They knocked Barca out, despite losing their first game 4-0 there. They beat Milan. They very nearly beat Barca at Ellen Road. And they were just brilliant. Some of this was due to the fact that Dida was an absolute uh, calamity in goal for the Rossoneri. Chances is off. Probably one of the worst areas I've ever seen in the Champions League, would you think? Although he did have another one, do you remember, at Celtic years later? <laughs> yeah, the one at Leeds, was the game was sort of drifting towards a 0-0 draw and Lee Bowyer has a, a fairly speculative shot from just outside the box and he catches it. He actually properly catches it and then he drops it down and it kind of hits his leg and rolls in, in the goal and, uh, and Big Ron is not impressed on comms. It's a decent shot, but quite... <laughs> Brazil must have some great defenders if he plays behind them. But also strong in the group stages with those two teams looking to put right the wrongs of the recent past. Bayern Munich and Valencia both topping their groups, both earning the dreamed-of prize of another group. Lady, hear me tonight, cause my feeling is just so 
All right, second group stage, fatal. This, to Italian hopes, wasn't a good year for the City Outsides. None of them reaching the quarterfinals after their dominance of this competition. What did we see, though, in the second group stage? Leeds kept rocking, didn't they? Yeah, they did. The thing with this Leeds season is, because of the second group stage, if you think back to the European games Leeds played, I always think that they must have played two seasons in Champions League because they played Barcelona, Milan, Lazio, Real Madrid, Valencia, Deportivo. It's like... It was just relentless. All five of their defeats in the Champions League that season came to, to Spanish teams. Um, and obviously, they would eventually fall to Valencia. But, you know, they did really well to get through that group. Um, obviously, Lazio finishing bottom was the was the big surprise. Right. Lazio, who had started out the competition with Svenja and Eriksson in charge. But after his head was turned, rare occurrence this for Svenja and Eriksson, by the lure of a new job with the English FA, of course, taking charge of the national team. Dino Zoff took over and the team rather lost their direction. A memorable 3-3 draw at Ellen Road at the end of the second group stage between these two sides with a trademark Sinisa Mihalovic free kick. Uh, what else stood out for you, Jules, about the second group stage? So, I mean, for me, Galatasaray had a wonderful team uh, that that season with, with Jardel, Mario Jardel, who mentioned in, in the last uh, Champions League campaign that we looked into, who went to Galatasaray just for one season, scored loads. Jorge Agi was there. Popescu had moved there from Barcelona as well. And they were very strong in, in that second uh, group stage with PSG and Milan and La Coruña as well, finishing top with La Coruña over Milan, over PSG as well. But that, that was a really, really fun group. I remember it very fondly. There was obviously the Deportivo La Coruña 4-3 win against PSG when they came back with the uh, Pandiani hat-trick to break my heart as a, as a, as a young PSG fan. Well, not so the, young anymore, but... The only player to ever score a hat-trick as a substitute at the kind of business end of the Champions League season, um, which is pretty impressive. El Rifle, as they used to call him. Do you remember he used to drive a truck? He used to come to training and to matches in a truck. Wow. OK. Quite a team they had with El Rifle Pandiani. Uh, Roy Mackay, Diego Tristan as well. Yeah, Jalminia and Fran in midfield too. They were really good. And, and, and my other rec- recollection of that second group phase was the Bayern Munich-Arsenal group with Lyon as well. And Lyon could have gone through, actually, in the last game ahead of, of Arsenal, who were beaten at Munich. And I'm sure Rafa has, has more on that. But Lyon only managed a 1-1 draw away at Spartak Moscow, which cost them their, their place in the quarterfinal. Yeah, I mean, that group was, um, was very eventful for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, the game that Bayern played at Highbury was really interesting. Uh, Arsenal very, very strong, took a 2-0 lead. And then Bayern in the second half came back and came away with a 2-2 draw. But the most important game, um, maybe even in part of Bayern Munich's history uh, of those years, is a 3-0 defeat at Lyon, uh, which came a little bit later. Uh, Bayern were, weren't just beaten, they were destroyed by Lyon in that game. Uh, Sidney Govou uh, scored a couple of goals. And then the atmosphere um, at the midnight banquet was so febrile um, and there was such a, a disappointment with Bayern's performance. Uh, Franz Beckenbauer accused Bayern playing like an old pensioners team uh, in his public speech, uh, which didn't go down well with the players who had to listen to all of that. Poor Otmar Hitzfeld, the coach at the time, was put into an extra room at 12 o'clock to do an emergency press conference to explain why he thought that this team could actually go and win the Champions League playing as they had done, especially defensively, being all over the place. So it was a huge fallout for weeks and weeks and weeks after this. Uh, But later on, it appeared, or at least that was the narrative, that Stefan Effenberg and other few players told themselves, we are not going to let this slide and we're going to show them all and of course they did. 
was this kind of nervousness because of what had happened a couple of seasons before the 99 final, Rafa? And not so much 99 final, but uh, in 2000, they had been going really strong and then got knocked out by Real Madrid in the semi-final. And there was a sort of a suggestion or, or a, um, a fear or a doubt about this Bayern team who were sort of getting close again and again and then falling down as it looked in this second group stage that they just couldn't quite get over the line. And uh, I, I really remember vividly the poor uh, ashen-faced Otmar Hitzfeld saying, no, no, I believe that Lincoln, Kufo and Anderson, we, we can do it with them. And just no one believed him at the time. Big hit in Germany that season was this from Christian. Is is geil ein Arschloch zu sein? It's okay to be an arsehole. Could have been tailor made for Stefan Effenberg that song. Is that unfair? Maybe a little bit. But you know what? Once they got through the second group stage, Bayern in the knockout stages looked awesome, knocking out the preceding two Champions League winners. First of all, in the quarterfinals, Man United, which must have been especially sweet. Yeah, the, the second leg in Munich for United really, you know, they, they kind of tried the same uh, thing as they had a couple of years previously. They, they brought on Solskjaer, they brought on Sheringham, didn't really work. I mean, this season was very much the end of the road for a lot of that team. And, you know, obviously they'd been due to sign Ruud van Nistelrooy the previous summer and then he'd uh, done his cruciate ligament. Obviously they'd go on to sign him the following year and, and he'd be very successful for them. But, yeah, it did feel like the kind of end of the road for that team in that game. Rafa then came Real Madrid, and it looks pretty cut and dried. This 1-0 win away from home, followed by a 2-1 win on home soil. Only one team in it. I think that's a bit unfair to Real Madrid because they absolutely dominated uh, the game uh, in Spain. I mean, Oliver Kahn had one of those those games which added to his his, his legend, if you will. Um, all the, the, the Spanish press afterwards saying, how is it possible that, that Bayern didn't get beat and... The goal that they scored, if you watch it back from Giovanni Elba, is one of those rare Ica Casillas uh, errors of his, his sort of nascent career where he just lets this shot from 30 metres just bobble in somehow, almost in slow motion. Uh, Bayern really stole that game. Second leg in Munich, they, they powered through, but Real Madrid were unlucky with that result. Bayern then were through to the final. Their opponents, Valencia. to hear that again Club Tropicana yes but by Gypsy Teens number one in Spain that season Los Che weren't number one they were heading towards a fifth place finish in La Liga but having been stuffed by Real Madrid in the final of the year before they'd come back wiser they'd also added big John Carew up front and hello Didier Deschamps Jules you're right James and Hector Cooper was still the, the manager and we Maybe we can touch upon his the curse, the, the Cooper curse a bit later. But John Carew, who was instrumental in getting Valencia to the final, remember he scored the, the goal that sent them through against Arsenal in the quarterfinal at the Mestalla when they won 1-0 after losing 2-1 a, a Highbury in a game, by the way, where Arsene Wenger did something that he usually never does, which is bringing a sub at halftime. Sylvain Viltord coming on at halftime in that game where Valencia were 1-0 up a Highbury and uh, the Gunners turned the game around to win 2-1. But it was just still not enough, which I think is... 
is the story of Arsenal in the Champions League and the Wenger. They they had occasions to to go far and to do very well, and they often failed in that way. Where Caru scored 15 minutes from from the end and qualified Valencia, and Deschamps uh, had a time at Chelsea to a certain extent worked quite well for him, won some trophies there. And that was his last club, Valencia, then before he became a, a manager. But what's quite incredible in Deschamps' career and his, his, his love story with the Champions League is that he won it in 93 with Marseille, then moved to Juventus, won the 96 final with Juventus, but then went on to lose in 97 final, in the 98 final, the final against with Valencia, and would lose it, although he didn't come on in the final. But then also in 04, as a manager with Monaco, went to the final again and lost it again. So he finished with four defeats in a row in Champions League finals, both as players and managers. Pretty incredible, though. You mentioned that Hector Cooper curse. We talked about this last week, but for anybody who, like you, didn't bother to listen to last Thursday's <laughs> show, he lost all in all eight titles at the very last turn of whatever that competition's race was, six cup finals and two league finals, one of which was to come straight after this season when he went to Inter and stuffed up their title chances. No wonder that despite reaching two Champions League finals under him, Valencia supporters still burn him in effigy on feast days in the town. Twenty fourth of May, two thousand and one, "Whole Again" by Atomic Kitten is what Italians were listening to as they sped round fountains on Vespers in their loafers, perhaps on their way to San Siro to watch Bayern Munich take on Valencia. Raphael Honigstein, were you there? I was there, James. I booked a flight to Pisa because it wasn't easy to get to Milan, and then drove drove up from Pisa. Um, very very happy days. That was going to be my next question. Which airport did he fly to? It was a game which started, which started, which started nervously for Bayern. Of course, haunted by the events in the dying minutes of the 99 final. And here they were, barely three minutes into this one, and going behind again. So Martin Yol's brother Dick uh, was in charge. And uh, he pointed to the spot because Patrick Anderson had handled the ball um, almost inadvertently, but enough... Uh, to to give a penalty and Mendieta, who was so deadly from 11 meters, stepped up and and made it one nil. And Bayern found themselves one nil down after only three minutes. But in a strange way, if ever you want to you know make a point for a team scoring too early, I think mm. that was maybe one of those occasions. Bayern didn't make the mistake of scoring too early. They had a their own penalty only a couple of minutes later. But Mehmet Scholl stepped up and Santiago Canizares saved. Fünf Treffer in der Champions League. Und es bleibt bei fünf. Auweia, auweia, auweia. Ganz zentral geschossen. At this point, you must have been very worried. Yes, it was very worrying. I mean, um, Scholl's penalty was, was a very bad one. He aimed it straight at the middle, uh, really scuffed the shot. A little bit like the one he, he scored in the... In the um, semi-final of the 95 uh, Champions League where it just bubbled bubbled through the hands of uh, Van der Sar. This one was saved by Canisares and Bayern then spent the entire game basically chasing and trying to create things against an ultra-defensive side. Valencia had so much going forward but because they'd taken the lead so early they really just encamped in their own half and never, I think, again, troubled Khan from open play throughout the game, at least not 
uh, in a serious fashion. So it was a very one-sided but very stodgy, nervous affair. I think neutrals probably didn't enjoy it very much. I certainly didn't enjoy it very much uh, in the stands. Well, five minutes into the second half, Bayern finally got their breakthrough. Amadeo Carboni handled. And this time, skipper Stefan Effenberg steps up to take the kick and makes it 1-1. I've got, I've got something for Effenberg. I've always had since the uh, 94 World Cup, where as a 13-year-old, I watched on television his middle finger going up when he was substituted uh, in that game. And I always thought, like, the, the whole story, the whole life, the career. I mean, even at Fiorentina, when you think that he... He stayed at the club, even in the second division, with Batistuta to go back up again. All the controversy at Bayern, all the affairs, all the, 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 the insult, everything. I just find it amazing. And, and, and to be fair, to, for him to step up and score that penalty at that time, uh, I think showed great character as well. And we know the character was probably his biggest quality. A little bit unlucky not to win uh, the Ballon d'Or, which of course was won by this uh, little English striker. Um, but um, he was he was outstanding. Well, penalty kicks were to be the defining feature of this final because after 120 minutes of play, it was still 1-1 and the teams went to penalty kicks. Rafa, raw drama. More drama and more heartbreak. Uh, at least it looked that way because the very first penalty, Paolo Serge just lifts it over the bar. I mean, one of the worst penalties you'll see at this level uh, Mendieta scores, uh, Sadi Hamicic equalises, but John Carew scores again. So uh, Bayern are, are two and down and always chasing, even though they take the first penalty, which is not a position you want to be in. Bayern chasing, but Oliver Kahn was in career best form, saving two penalties. How many spot kicks ended up being taken in this sequence? Uh, 14. So it went past the initial 10, um, which, I mean, theoretically, a penalty shootout can go on forever. It's a loophole no one's ever really closed. But um, at this level, it's rare to see it go beyond the, the five chosen ones. So the drama was only ramped up further. It was. And before we get to the last four penalties, I would make the point that if you want to watch back Khan saving Carboni's penalty, that is one of the most impressive saves of a penalty you will see, especially how the ball deliciously bounces off the underside of the bar and back into Khan's hand. Carboni. Khan, der ist nicht drin! Unglaublich! Es ist nicht vorbei, sagen die Amerikaner. It's not over till the fat lady sings. It's, it's just fantastic. And uh, oh, I just love talking about this game. Um, anyway, um, it then goes down to sudden death. And for Bayern, you now get the players who really don't want to take the penalty. So, and we all know this, I think, in the stands. And we all find it really, I mean, I said we as Bayern fans find it really, really hard to watch to see Bijente Lizarazu, for example, step up. I don't think he'd ever taken a penalty before. Certainly not in uh, in this pressurized situation. He scores, Kili Gonzalez scores. And then Thomas Linke, probably the last player you want taking a penalty. You know, centre-back who just loves to boot the ball all the time. Uh, I'm just thinking... He's going to miss, he's going to miss, he's going to miss. But he scores, which then leaves Maurizio Pellegrino to step up to take Valencia's next one. The future Southampton manager, the man taking the decisive kick of the Champions League final, Jules. No, just on Lizarazu, it's, it's, it's one of the, the stories that I love in that final is that Vicente Lizarazu took a penalty at the, at the World Cup in 98, if you remember, against Italy in the quarterfinals and missed and swore that he would never, ever take 
another penalty. So we we in that Champions League final on the pitch, the five penalty takers have taken theirs. By many people are saying, okay, who wants to take next? And Lizar Razou is just like, he, and he, he, I remember him telling me the story. He said, like, I don't want to make eye contact with anyone. And Uli Hones, who's on the pitch, arrives and said to Lizar Razou, you're going to take the next one. And Bichente goes, uh, uh, doesn't know what to do. And Uli Hones says, you're going to take it and you're going to score it. And so Lizar Razou always says, I had to go. And he said, and I thought on my way to the penalty spot, I thought the one I missed against Italy, I tried to place it. This one, I'm going to hit it hard. And that's what he did. And he scored. But from a, a day before, he would have sworn to you, I would never, ever take another penalty. And he ended up scoring in the Champions League final. Can you imagine that walk to the penalty spot? I mean, in that scenario, there's always a forward who's basically kind of hiding and, you know, trying to sneak out of taking one. But for Bayern in this context, it was Carson Yanker. So you think, yeah, probably fair enough, give it to Lizar Rizou, So And Lizar Rizou ended up being a player who hold the World Cup, the Euros and the Champions League at the same time, which no one had done since the Germans, the great German teams in 72-74 and then who won it for Bayern Munich, Beckenbauer... Gat Müller, Sepp Meyer, and all, all of them. So pretty rare feat from, from Lisa as well to, 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 to hold all those titles at, at the same time. And didn't he become European champion at Jiu-Jitsu as well at one point? The big four. <laughs> and surfing, the big five. Is he surfer as well? Yeah, he's a huge surfer. He surfs, he surfs amazingly well. He's a very uh, sporty guy even now since. Lovely, lovely guy. Another man who was to go on to have a uh, fantastic sporting career was Mauricio Pellegrino playing for Valencia uh, that day. He steps up to take the decisive kick. Rafa, this is one of your favourite moments of commentary ever. Can you do it for us? Kahn! Kahn, die Bayern! Die Bayern! Pellegrino gegen Kahn. Kahn, die Bayern! Die Bayern! And there they were, champions once again. How long have they been waiting, Rafa? 76, was it? For 25 years. Oliver Kahn! Manoj writes in, he says, Samuel Kafour's meltdown at the end of the 99 final went down in the annals of football history. Was his celebration at San Siro in 2001 just as epic? It was very, very sweet. There's a, a lovely shot um, that was used by uh, Zutoche Zeitung, the, uh, the Munich-based broadsheet, on the Monday with him kissing the, the, the cup in a very gentle and uh, really loving way. How would you rank this Bayern team, Rafa, among, among the greats then? I think this Bayern team won the Champions League when they were actually probably not quite at their best anymore. But this is not unusual. I mean, you have to think about the Chelsea side, for example, in 2012. I think they were, they were basically rewarded for the effort that they had put in um, over the last uh, few seasons. I think in 2000, this was probably the best Bayern side. They absolutely destroyed Real Madrid twice in the second group stage before then getting knocked out by them in the semi-final. So they kind of, I think, deserved it in terms of their life achievement um, award rather than maybe that season in particular. They had also become progressively more defensive and reactive, almost, I think, as a consequence of 99, where they kind of threw it away. Hitzfeld had become more obsessed with the defensive side of the game. And they were a team that even in 2001, think about this, won the Champions League with a sweeper, uh, which kind of showed you where, you know, where German football was in a way and where Bayern were at, the, uh, at that moment in time. I don't think many people really paid too much attention to it, but it kind of summed up that perhaps they were missing the boat a little bit tactically, uh, both as a club and also as a football nation. 
And, and also, I think we, we deserve a shout out to our friend Owen Hargreaves, who was only 20, who turned mm. 20 in January that year and played the whole 120 minutes and, and bossed that game in midfield with, with Effenberg alongside him. Absolutely. Duncan, any final thoughts on the Champions League? No, just one thing that I didn't mention earlier was I loved Leeds's pure Leeds thing in the semi-final. They, they all shaved their heads before the away leg in Valencia, presumably to scare the Valencia team. But Ian Hart was the only player who didn't do it because he was about to get married and his fiance wouldn't let him do it. So maybe that was the weak link. Perhaps <laughs> so. So once again, disappointment for poor old Valencia. That season also saw, curiously, a Spanish side losing the other European final, the UEFA Cup. Uh, this was held in Dortmund. Rafa, did you struggle along to this to see Liverpool taking on Alaves? No, um, James, I wasn't at the game, but I very much enjoyed it on television. I think one of the, the most exciting and memorable um, UEFA Cup finals, uh, especially for neutrals, um, not just because of scoreline, but also because the way the game ebbed and flowed and went one way and then the other. Um, really, really entertaining. Alaves, who'd only been promoted a few years before to La Liga, here contesting the UEFA Cup final against a, a mighty-looking Liverpool with Michael Owen, Stephen Gerrard, uh, similarly shaven-headed. In, in fact, Liverpool goes 3-1 up, but then Contra does uh, Jamie Carragher and uh, finds Xavi Moreno, and it's 3-2. And then Moreno free-kicks it in about a couple of minutes later, and it's now 3-3. Robbie Fowler makes it 4-3. Jordi Cruyff makes it 4-4 with only two minutes left to play. But then in extra time, two red cards for Alaves, they're down to nine men and a Gary McAllister free kick goes in off one of their players and uh, it's golden goal time. Five Liverpool players to attack the ball. Oh, it's an own goal! It's a golden goal! But what a nightmare for Alaves. An own goal, golden goal, has got to be the rarest way of winning a football match. So right. you can't ask for more, really. No, or less. Part of Gerard Hulia's Cup treble winning season. Incredible. By the way, here's an incredible stat, courtesy of Alvaro Romeo, who pointed out to us that uh, between Alaves and Valencia in this campaign, 2000-2001, that's the last time that a Spanish team lost a European final. Since then, they haven't to anyone but a Spanish side. So an all-Spanish final, yeah, one of them loses. But apart from that, since that season, a Spanish team has never lost a European final. Well, with that stunned silence, let's wave goodbye to the European season 2000-2001. A little bit later on, we'll be, of course, having the general knowledge round of this exciting intertotally semi-final between Alvaro Romeo and Daniel Storey. But next up, it's more talking about Bayern and their chums as we welcome back the Bundesliga this weekend on Pitches and Your TV. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Nice, Rafa. A little bit of craft work. Was Florian Schneider passing away just last month? Founder of the definitive Electro Quartet. Yeah, and one of two German bands worth listening to. What's the other one? Scorpions, yeah? Can. And Scorpions. But anyway, so this weekend, Rafa, nine games that all live... Which to look out for? Which are you most excited about? Tell us all. Well, I'm strangely excited by, by many of them because 
first the novelty factor and and combined with the sensation of just having football to watch again um, will be I think really really welcome. Um, of course, the Revere Derby, uh, even in its much diminished form, will be the number one game. Um, you really want to see what happens there. But in a more sort of uh, footballing sense, maybe Eintracht Frankfurt Gladbach would be um, even a more entertaining game. And of course, you have Bayern going to Union Berlin, as you mentioned in uh, in the intro. Uh, that would have been otherwise a really heated, interesting affair in this small ground. Um, not so much without the fans. But still, the kind of game where you're thinking a rusty Bayern Munich side against a very robust, hard-fighting, hard-running Union Berlin side, maybe the sort of game where you can see a bit of a surprise result as well. And a lot of people, I think, unsure whether we'll see lots of good teams just pulling away without the crowds or actually the good teams being taken down a peg because they find the strange atmosphere unsettling. And uh, those who are perhaps a little bit more reactive and defensive then come to the fore. Um, we really don't know, but I think it's worth checking out what's going to happen. Right, Bisham, among the many listeners writing in, saying, will less work than usual have been put into tactics and practising by the teams ahead of these games? Will this mean that individual talent is more of a decisive factor in matches and indeed the rest of the season? I don't think there would have been necessarily less time being put in. Of course, um, teams have only been back by and large sort of two weeks in full training. So you couldn't really do a lot of this stuff when it comes to set pieces, etc. Um, but I think that players are not quite sure, you know, how much they will be able to rely on their own motivation. Let's say it's the 85th minute and you're running after a ball. Usually you get the crowd, you get the energy it carries you that extra few meters, even if you're very tired. Now, you will maybe hear your um, coach, after he puts down his mask momentarily, shouting at you from 60 meters away, but it might not have the same motivating impact. So that's going to be really, really interesting to see what, what happens and if they can keep up the energy, especially with, with a view of um, this is the first game that is really being played since March. So none of them will be really fully match fit. Although Lewandowski should be given his TikTok antics, he's looking pretty sharp. So, but but fitness-wise as well, it's a, it's a good question. Maybe after maybe the first forty-five minutes will be to a, a normal pace, normal rhythm for the Bundesliga with quite a lot of intensity, and and maybe after that the players won't be able to do much more. And maybe after the hour you will you will see a dip of form, maybe a dip. You know, not running as much, less intensity, which which is completely understandable when you when you when you've trained on your own, or pretty much on your own for the last two months, and 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 not being fully match fit completely, it would be understandable that that you you would see the level of the games and any games, you know, even 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 the Dortmund Schalke game, just dropping a bit the level towards the last twenty five minutes or half an hour of the game. Yeah, the reason there's lots of goals late on in games, even when teams are at the top of their fitness is because you know that's when they're getting tired they're making mistakes so I would imagine when all these leagues come back we're going to see some errors high profile errors and a lot of goals late on. Rafa back at the start of the season you predicted the Borussia Dortmund were going to win the title this year as it stands they're in second place four points behind Bayern you mentioned the prospect of maybe Sunday evening Bayern slipping up at Union Berlin I presume the Bundesliga with the eyes of the world upon them would would dearly love for there to be a real title race. Bayern still have to travel to both Bayer Leverkusen and Dortmund in a couple of weeks' time, although without you know, the yellow wall, etc. But is it still on? It is still on, but you worry a little bit for Dortmund uh, in that Schalke game. Without their key midfielders, um, 
Axel Witzel and uh, Emre Can, I think they might not be quite at their dominating best. They need those two players. We saw time and time again when it comes to uh, having that presence in midfield, uh, having an aerial presence when it comes to corners and free kicks, which has been an Achilles heel uh, for the side over the last uh, 18 months or so. So I think Schalke, who have most of the injured players back, I think only Kabak is out, will actually look at this game and think this is a really good opportunity for us for us to win. Um, Dortmund also missing uh, Marco Royce and uh, Nico Schultz so, and Zagadou. This is a Schalke side, I think, that can maybe have a similar impact to Union against Bayern. So we hope that there'll still be a title race by the end of that weekend, but it remains to be seen. Well, Early Haaland and Jadon Sancho will be doing their best to make sure there is. For now, it's Bayern that are number one in Germany, much like Nick Verdient, my capital bra and Loredana. And as we listen to these sweet sounds, just take us through one or two more of the weekend's fixtures that are worth uh, keeping an eye on, Rafa. How about, for example, Saturday afternoon, Leipzig against Freiburg? Yeah, that should be a good one. I mean, Freiburg are uh, one of those sides where you never really quite understand what it is they're doing so well um, because individually they're not that special. Collectively, they don't necessarily do anything uh, that interesting either, but they have found a way under Christian Streich to uh, continuously... um, just overperform basically and they're once again in the running uh, even if it's an outside chance for the Europa League places where as I always tip them to go down and they always look like a fool every season uh, that pattern is is being replicated but they beat Leipzig back in October at Freiburg and of course Leipzig um, one of those sides who still also have their eye on a possible upset and you know they were going really really strong they still have a chance of winning uh, this league they will um be approaching this in a very interesting mindset. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann told his players, you'd be in the Euros otherwise. So just consider this your Euros. You have nine games. Let's win them all. Let's win the Euros. And that might be enough to win the league. Mm. And they might have more than that because assuming the Champions League does continue in August, the last time we saw Leipzig, they were just completing a 4-0 aggregate win over Spurs and, and, and looking pretty deadly. Timo Werner uh, making some comments that did get picked up a lot in the UK to build, suggesting that he would be very open to a move abroad. Is that now a very badly kept secret that he's on his way perhaps to Liverpool next season? Uh, Not yet. I think the fact that Werner talks about this quite often um, would lead me to suggest that the deal isn't quite done and he maybe wants Liverpool to speed this up a bit. I mean, the ball has been in Liverpool's court for a while because Werner has a release clause um, I guess Liverpool at this moment in time don't necessarily want to pay 60 million euros, even though before coronavirus it would have been a a brilliant uh, signing, even at that money. Um, I think that's why everything is a little bit on hold. Liverpool don't know exactly, I think, how to budget for next season. Will football come back? When will it come back? How will it come back? I think all of these questions are still very much open and that has a knock-on effect on, on things like budget. But uh, the transfer market, I think... People in Germany expect it just to happen a lot later this year. Maybe it'll be August, maybe it'll be September before we see some of those bigger moves happening. But Werner very much wants to go to Anfield and I think they still would like to have him if they can find an agreement. Okay. Well, meanwhile, this Saturday afternoon, there's also a massive relegation six-pointer between Fortuna Dusseldorf and Paderborn. The other team in the relegation mix, uh, rather surprisingly, is Werder Bremen, who are Four points from a playoff spot, eight points from safety. And on Monday, we'll be taking on in form, well, they were three 
two, three months ago by Leverkusen. Bremen, who this year, calendar year, have got a lower XG as a team than Erling Haaland has by himself. So, work to do there. Wow. Saturday evening, Rafa, you're tipping Eintracht Frankfurt against Borussia Mönchengladbach as potentially the most exciting game of the weekend. Will Borussia Mönchengladbach, will they take their cobble cutouts with them to Frankfurt for this game? No, sadly not. No way, team cardboard fans, uh, for this one. But I think that um, if we see them, those cardboard uh, fans in action, although you wonder what what action would look like for them but if you see them in a live game next weekend I think one or two clubs might be persuaded to do something at the moment there's this view that we have to be purists that we don't want to dress this up which is um, um, you know an uncomfortable position to be in they don't want to create an artificial uh, sense without the fans and, and even make them more unhappy about not being there by basically saying you know we can fake uh, the noise we can fake um, the atmosphere so you don't have to come back um, almost so uh, but I think as time goes on and maybe as the realization dawns that football is unlikely to be staged with fans uh, for the remainder of 2020 maybe even into 2021 um, what Gladbach are doing could well be um, a bit of a trailblazer I think. Right although the real trailblazers for that of course are Monaco for several seasons now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> And I mean, they, they painted, you know, they painted the seats in very different colours. So you could feel that there's a lot of people there when actually no one has turned up again. Very nice. All right, then. So also this weekend, you've got Cologne taking on Mainz. That's on Sunday. We mentioned the fact that Union Berlin take on Bayern in the Sunday evening game. And it's, it's, a, well, it's a great series of matches all back on from Saturday. What time's the kickoff, Rafa? Is it 2.30? 2.30 UK, James. Brilliant. But I All think right. we'll be on you... at two o'clock already on Saturday. Two for a half an hour build-up for me to flex my Bundesliga. Somebody suggested that you'd um, do it with a copy of Kicker and a Kolsch or a Bratwurst next to you on the desk. <laughs> great idea, I think. That's a great idea. Typical Saturday for me. Now, you know who else is excited about the return of live football this weekend? Lee Price of Paddy Power, that's who. Let's hear from him now with former producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Hello, listeners. Now, it's been almost two months since I've uttered the immortal words. I'm joined on the line by Lee Price from Paddy Power. But here he is, Lee Price from Paddy Power to give us some odds. Hello, Lee. Hello. This is lovely, isn't it? I've, I've missed you, Ben. I've missed you too, Lee. I've missed you too. And uh, I've been missing football. And speaking of which, the Bundesliga's back. And uh, Lee, you actually wrote a book about German football back in 2015. So hopefully you can draw <laughs> on some of that knowledge as we go through the big three games this weekend in the Bundesliga, starting on Saturday with Dortmund versus Schalke. Yeah, the big one. One we might have even spoken about, even if the Premier League was still on, maybe. Uh, we all know someone who's been a Dortmund fan for years, but that sudden rediscovery might be short-lived if BVB don't win this one. It's 9-2 to two that Schalke ruined their rivals' title chase, but 1-2, to two, odds on the host win. The draw, which I kind of fancy given the spooky stadium scenario, is 16-5. to five. All right, well, leaders Bayern are four points ahead of Dortmund going into this round of games. They're away at Union Berlin on Sunday. What are the markets here, please? I'm glad you said that rather than me. Um, a lot's changed over the last few months, not least my love for my barber, but one thing remains constant. Bayern Munich are heavily odds on. Uh, Berlin is a convenient return to action for the Bavarians, or so we think. And we go 1-6 to six at the leaders win again. The hosts are 12-1 to one to win, or 5-1 to one to nick a draw. Boring, boring Bayern. 
All right, and finally in the games we're looking at is third place RB Leipzig. They're home to Freiburg. What's going to happen yeah. here? Yeah, a juicy one. We make the winged team Leipzig comfortable favourites one to four. Freiburg, meanwhile, are distant eight to one. The draw is nine to two. If you want to do a treble, by the way, on these three matches, for the big three to win, it's 1.19 to one. Not very good. For three huge upsets, and never know, could happen. 642 to 1. How's that? Yeah, I could certainly do with that about now, Lee. Um, anyway, never mind the Bundesliga. The real competition our listeners care about is the Intertotally Cup. We're at the semi-final stage and what a first leg it was today. Um, who have you got at Paddy Power as the favourites for this? Well, the real winner for me is whoever came up with the tournament name. Love it. Michael would have been the pre-tournament favourite. So while he's flattered to deceive so far, we'd still back him to come strong. A bit like Spain in the 2010 World Cup, although judging by his first round performance, he'd probably forget that. We go 4-7, to seven, Michael Cox reaches the final, while it's 5-4 to four that Jack Lang secures a place. And we have just heard the first leg of Daniel versus Alvaro. We're back in Alvaro. He's 4-6. to six. Story's 11-10 to 10 to go through. The two semi-finalists both 7-4 to four to win the thing outright. A lot of competition. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Woo! It's like the football's back for real now. Now, before we finish today, it's time to catch up once again with Alvaro and Daniel in our intertotally semi-final first leg. Welcome back, Daniel and Alvaro. Hello. Hello. All right. Daniel Boyd, by that massive performance in the Real Madrid Galactico era, uh, early round. Alvaro, you have got a lot of work to do. You're three points behind. How are you feeling? I know. I know. Basically, I lost at home for one. Mm. I mean, let's put it that way. Has it ever been any comeback after that first leg result? Well, we'll see. It's all in your hands still because you've got two rounds coming up at the weekend and the general knowledge round now, so maybe the comeback starts here. With question one for Alvaro. Who is the only goalkeeper to ever win the World Cup Golden Ball? World Cup Golden Ball, most valuable player in the World Cup. Is that um, Gordon Banks? It was not. It was Oliver Kahn in 2002. Question two then. Three members of Spain's 1994 World Cup squad went on to manage the senior Spain men's team. Which three were they? Have to be Luis Enrique. Can you say the question again? Three sure. members of... So three members of the yeah. Spain squad that went to the 1994 World Cup in the USA <laughs> later managed the senior Spain men's team. Which three were they? You've said Luis Enrique so far. Yes. And the other two? Fernando Hierro. Luis Thank Enrique. One more answer. And, um, Lopetegui. Last second of extra time. Yes. You, you got that yes, one yes. in, but you're absolutely I, right. But believe so, me, I, I thought that the question was even wrong at some point. I was like, how can it be? No wrong questions from no, no, Quizmaster no, Nick Miller. As we move on to question three, in 1974, Gerd Muller became the only man in football history to have achieved which goal-scoring feat? Hmm. 
over 90 goals in one calendar year? Very possibly, but that's not the answer. In 1974, he scored in the finals of the World Cup, having previously scored in the European Cup final. Mm. The only man to have scored in the finals of both. Question four. Which club links Zinedine Zidane and Laurent Blanc? It has to be Girondins Bordeaux. That is correct. And question five. Which club did Honoljinho end his career at? So far anyway, and Peruvian prison teams do not count. Mm. So Honoljinho, where did he last play professionally? Honoljinho. Is it... Um, Fluminense? It is. It is. So at the end of that general knowledge round, Alvaro, you've scored three points out of five. All right. Daniel, you're up next then with the general knowledge. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Question one then. Which club links Leo Messi and Marcelo Bielsa? Uh, News Old Boys. Correct. Who currently holds the record for the most Champions League appearances? Ooh. Um... Question. Um, Ike Casillas? Is correct. Question three. In relation to the Champions League or European Cup, four men have achieved a certain feat. They are Miguel Munoz, Carlo Ancelotti, Pep Guardiola and Zinedine Zidane. What feat is that? Uh, Won it as a player and a manager. But, But actually seven managers have done that. What feat have they achieved? Um... Sorry, can you repeat the names, please, James? So, Munoz, Carlo yeah. Ancelotti, Guardiola mm-hmm. and Zinedine Zidane. Won it multiple times as a player and manager? No. It's actually won the tournament as a manager with the same club they'd won it with as a player. Oh, OK. Question four, then. Two players in England's Euro 96 squad would go on to manage the senior England's men's team. Which two were they? Gareth Southgate and let me go through the managers Hardell, Eriksson McLaren, Capello hmm Euro 96 squad two men from that squad would later manage the senior England men's team you've said so far Gareth Southgate who would the other one be? (laughs) why am I having a blank here? Um, Ugh. I'm going to kick myself here so Neville was um, wasn't even a caretaker I'm going to have to uh, press you for an answer yeah um, I'm going to allow it to run out of time here because I can't think of what really? I'll say I'll yeah, which is stupid. What what's wrong with me? Don't know. Uh, Have you got an answer? No. Well, I'll say never, no. but I know it's not right. No, it's Stuart Pierce. Oh God. Question five, Daniel. Which club did Honoljinho start his career at? Oh no. Somewhere in Brazil, sure. Um what did Alvaro say? Fluminese. Is it the same one? Um, oh no, 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 it's Gremio. That's correct. How did you know that? 
I was going to say Botafogo, but that's what I'd have said for the last one, which would have been wrong. But no, I just remember the red and... Yeah, I remember the kit. Right. Known as Ronaldinho Gaucho to begin with because Gremio from the south and Gaucho, the, the, the cowboys from the south of the country. Extraordinary. So at the end of that round, you've scored three points, giving you a three-point lead at the end of the first leg. Will it be enough? Uh, it doesn't matter because I'm never going to sleep again because of the Stuart Pearce answer. Crikey. No sleep till Sunday. Alvaro, what about you? Are you happy with that general knowledge comeback? Moderately. I think the 7-4 lead for Daniel, it's a very good lead. So I will right. have to study a lot this weekend, really. You certainly will with those books that you can't get hold of. If only there was some kind of web-based information pool that you could find any answers you need on. Uh, but anyway, I'll leave that to you. Lots of revision ahead. We'll see you again on Sunday. Perfect. Thank you. Wow. 7-4 then, the score ahead of the second leg, which is coming up on Sunday. What do you think, Jules? Well, good luck to Alvaro to try to come back in that. I've said uh, when Daniel's story knocked me out that it would be very, very hard to beat both in the semi-final and, and if he makes it to the final, whoever he faces there. It will be an extraordinary comeback if Alvaro does manage it. Duncan? Yeah, I mean, obviously I was backing Alvaro because he knocked me out in the same way Jules was backing Daniel. I mean, I thought Daniel was obviously disappointed about his uh, the Stuart Pearce question. Well, I thought that was quite hard because, you know, do caretakers count? It's, uh, it's a grey area. Well, it's good enough for Nick Miller. It's good enough for me. We'll be back, as I say, with that at the weekend in a show which will also include our review of the Premier League 1997-98 season. So more great tunes in that, no doubt. It's the season of uh, the Gunners doing the double with Arsene Wenger, Michael Owen, all that business. Uh, before that, as I think we mentioned, Rafa and I will be joined by Owen Hargreaves for a massive collection of Bundesliga live action from two o'clock Saturday on BT Sport and also on BT Sport or at least on the YouTube channel there's a quiz tonight at nine BT Sport the beautiful quiz uh, for details so if you're you're free and listening before Thursday at nine brilliant that's it for now many thanks to everybody all right see you then Jimbo thank you thank you James no thank you and thank you listener and we'll catch up with you at the weekend, if not before, for now, from all of us here. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.